Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Beerspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. So this weekend, we're starting a new four-week sermon series called Revive Us Again. You know, from the time I became a new Christian, I found the subject of revival to be fascinating. My faith has been stirred by reading and reflecting on historical accounts of God at work. And I'm more than convinced our generation needs a dynamic move of the Holy Spirit. And I want to share my personal passion with you over the next four weeks to inspire your walk with God. The title for the series, Revive Us Again, is taken right out of the book of Psalms. The psalmist says in Psalm 85, verses 4 to 7, Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. The psalmist cries out on behalf of the people of God. This is a, a desperate plea, a heart cry for revival. Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? The psalmist wants God to repeat what he has done previously. He wants to see it once again in his generation. This is a prayer for revival so that the people of God will find their highest joy in God, their greatest treasure in God himself, that he will be the source of their delight and satisfaction. In contemporary Christian circles, the idea of revival brings all kinds of pictures, and they're not always accurate. Some equate revival with evangelistic meetings that are aimed at reaching the lost. So an itinerant evangelist sets up a tent, shares the gospel message, hundreds of people come forward to be saved. That is not revival. Others assume revival is about holding meetings that merely produce ecstatic emotional experiences. These are misconceptions regarding revival. You don't hold a revival meeting. Usually, we learn about it in retrospect. We look back and we see the movement and activity of God, and we say, wow, that was a revival. Revival is not a planned evangelistic campaign. It is not a series of meetings that we hold to whip up spiritual frenzy. In fact, the noun revival is never used in the Bible. It is the verb form to revive that is used several times in the Scripture. The word revive in Hebrew means to bring back to life. What it means is the quickening of existing life or resurrection of life from the dead. The word vive in Latin means life. 
revive is the restoration of life, breathing life into something that is dead or is dying. So there once was life, but that life is slowly ebbing away and in some cases has been altogether snuffed out. When you're revived, life returns back. Spiritually speaking, revival is a work of God within the church, primarily among believers. We receive spiritual life from Jesus the moment we place our faith in Him. But if we are not careful, that life can start receding, diminishing, fading. And it takes God's Holy Spirit to restore, renew, awaken, and bring us back to life. A powerful imagery of revival is when we light a fire or we burn the wood. And after a while, the fire is dying and all we see are embers. And what do you do to revive the fire? You blow so that the flame can be kindled once again. And as you blow, the flame starts to flicker and then it comes alive and soon we have a roaring fire. That is an imagery of revival. God breeds life into His church. A revival is needed because of the default mode of the human heart. It's easy to become spiritually lukewarm, to lose our spiritual passion to simply conform to the patterns of this world. Now, all through the Bible, we will see the cyclical pattern of spiritual apostasy and renewal. You read the Old Testament. Israel repeatedly lost their spiritual zeal. They gave into idol worship. They wandered far away from God. They compromised their faith. They tolerated sin. And God brought them back to Himself. Numerous times, He restored their spiritual life. He revives them again. That is true of the entire Old Testament narrative. Now, what about the New Testament? Are the people of God in the New Testament spiritually consistent? Or do they maintain red-hot passion for the Lord? Do they remain steadfast in their faith? When you Look at the book of Acts. You see a church on fire. But within a few decades, you come to the book of Revelation. Jesus speaks here to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And it appears so many of these churches had lost their love for Jesus, become spiritually lukewarm, and were in desperate need of revival. Whether it is the Old Testament or the New Testament, God's people are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And it takes a sovereign work of God, a work of His Holy Spirit to bring us back to Him so we return to God wholeheartedly. There is a personal and corporate dimension to revival. We need individual revival when our spiritual passion is waning, when our love for God is growing cold. Nominal, sleepy Christians need to wake up to the reality of God's presence in their life. They need to be awakened from their spiritual slumber. 
And as individuals experience revival, you see a ripple effect of that in the church. The church comes alive, and that is corporate revival. While revival is primarily a work of God among His people, through the awakened believers, those who are outside of the faith are now brought into the kingdom. So evangelism is a byproduct of revival. And historically, revivals have had a tremendous impact on missions and generated an incredible passion to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So here's the deal. Revival is an exciting season in the life of a Christian congregation. But we cannot produce a revival. You can't push the right buttons and manufacture a revival. We can seek God for it. We can prepare our hearts. But only the Lord can send revival. It is a sovereign, mysterious work of God. Revival is a divine visitation when God comes down to us in power. And when that happens, the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit is intensified. Now keep in mind, the Holy Spirit of God is always at work. But in revival times, the work of the Holy Spirit is amplified, highlighted, heightened, and taken to the next level. And that ushers a season of spiritual breakthroughs. And the normal gospel ministry of the church accelerates and surges forward with extraordinary power. The wind of God's Spirit blows for a season to realign us so we return back to God's original purposes, both as individuals and as a church. And with that purpose is accomplished, we return to a new normal. Revivals don't last forever. They come and they go. But they have a restorative function, and God's plans are accomplished, and His kingdom advances powerfully through this. Now, I've taken extended time to give you a good definition of revival so we are on the same page. And this will serve as a foundation to this entire sermon series. As much as revival is a sovereign work of God, both the Bible and church history attest to the fact that God responds to our efforts, that we have a role to play, that we are not altogether passive in this process. We set the sails high so when the wind comes, we are ready to harness it. So if we want to see revival in our day and age, we need to reclaim some things. We need to return to some things. We need to recover some things. And in this series, I will highlight four things that we need to reclaim, bring back again. And these are not some new spiritual truths that you've never heard. These are the basics of our faith. It is about unreservedly returning to the foundations of our faith system. That is our part in ushering a revival. 
And today we'll start with the first aspect we need to reclaim. I'm going to talk about reclaiming prayer. The text for today is from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 to 16. So if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 to 16. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I've chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Would you pray with me? Lord, we silence our hearts so we can hear your voice, so our hearts can be open to your truths. And we pray that you will now minister to us. And you will visit us again. And you will cause your word to come alive in our hearts. And you challenge us to reclaim prayer in the life of our church, in our individual lives. Show us, Lord, what we need to do in order to see a move of the Holy Spirit in our generation. So we give this time to you Speak to us in the power of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all may be seated. If you're looking for a promise in the Bible regarding revival, you need to look no further than the words that we just read. A Christian believers all through history from various parts of the world have claimed this promise and have engaged in fervent prayers for revival. Let me give you a brief context to the passage in 2 Chronicles 7 that we just read. God chose King Solomon to build this temple in Jerusalem. At taking over as king from David, Solomon devoted his time and attention to building the temple using exquisite craftsmanship. People from all over Israel and the surrounding nations will come to this temple to offer their sacrifices and their worship to the Lord. Solomon prayed a public prayer of dedication as they opened the temple for worship. The presence of God came alive in that place and filled the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary of the temple. The people, recognizing God's presence and His holiness, fell face down in worship. And in response to Solomon's prayer and dedication of the temple, 
God appeared to Solomon in a dream and spoke the words that we read in 2 Chronicles 7. God's response mirrors the phraseology and content of Solomon's prayers. Solomon had prayed earlier that God would hear the petitions that were being made in this place. And God now affirms to him in this dream that he will indeed hear the prayers of his people. In seasons of trouble, when things go haywire, when confounded by a series of problems, when there is a, a serious spiritual decline in the society and the nation is in dire straits, in such a time when God's people rise up to pray, God says he will hear their cries. And God offers here in 2 Chronicles 7 a conditional promise. There are some things that we as God's people need to do in order to see a divine intervention in our midst. Some Christian scholars say this promise here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is limited to the nation of Israel. It was given to Solomon in the context of the temple and therefore is not applicable today. Now you have to keep in mind that the promise here is for God's people who are called by his name. The context of uh, 2 Chronicles it is referring to the nation of Israel who had a covenantal relationship with God. But now, we also have been brought into a covenantal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So people of different nations and backgrounds and cultures have been inherited into God's family through their faith in Christ. So by all means, we are also God's people who are called by his name, who have his mark of ownership, and therefore this promise is applicable to us. And for folks who are still not convinced, here's an example. Jeremiah chapter 31 is a powerful chapter that talks about the new covenant. If you look at the context of the passage, strictly speaking, it's given to Israel. The promise of a new heart and the loss impressed within the hearts of people was given originally to Israel in the context of Jeremiah 31. But we also appropriate the new covenant and its promise, and rightly so. In the same way, we can also appropriate the promise in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. We don't treat it like a formula, but we treat this as a motivation to pray, to reclaim prayer in the life of the church. The church is the covenantal community of God's people. And when our nation is in disarray, we have the responsibility to intercede on behalf of our country. And this is what we ought to do to seek God's healing in our nation of Canada. Four things are being highlighted in this conditional promise. This is our fourfold response. God's people, first of all, ought to humble ourselves. Secondly, we have to pray. We seek God's face. And lastly, we turn from our wicked ways. As we do our part, God says he will do his part of forgiving our sins and healing our land. But do you see, it all starts with God's people. 
We need to reclaim prayer as pivotal in our churches if we want to see a move of the Holy Spirit in our world. First of all, our text here says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. The word used there for humbling ourselves has the connotation of bending our knees. When we're going down on our knees, it is a posture of dependency. Those of us who are physically able should kneel often in prayer. The act of kneeling in prayer is a visible mark of our humble dependence on the Lord. It's our way of saying, Lord, unless you come through, we will continue in this downward descent. We will be lost. We cannot face the challenges that are all around us in our own human strength. Will you reverse the declension that's all around us and remove the spiritual coldness that's surrounding us? That is the spirit of revival. The Welsh revival of 1904 was one of the influential revival movements of God in church history that happened in Wales. The person God used significantly in this revival was a 26-year-old Bible college student named Evan Roberts. Evan once heard a preacher pray, Lord, bend us. And that phrase stuck with him. The Holy Spirit whispered to Evan, that is what I want to do in you. And so Evan Robert started praying, Lord, bend me. And Evan says that moment as he yielded to the Holy Spirit, he felt his heart ablaze with a passion to go through the length and breadth of whales and tell of his Savior. And in this revival work of God, the power of God came alive in a nation. And in a matter of months, 100,000 people were added to the church. Along with that, a deep and incredible work of God happened within the church. The effect of the revival on Welsh society was unmistakable. They say, output from the coal mines slowed because the horses wouldn't move. Transportation slowed down. Why? It's because coal miners were impacted by this revival. And they no longer kicked or swore at their horses. And the horses didn't know what to do because they were used only to responding to swear words. Isn't that a good problem? The police had not much to do because the crime rates had drastically reduced in the community. So one police sergeant decided the police officers need to form singing quartets so the churches can make use of them. And Evan Roberts' simple prayer, Oh Lord, bend me, blossomed into the theme of the revival. Bend the church and save the world. So we take cues from that, and we humble ourselves and ask God to bend us. 
Secondly, we pray. We pray. We give ourselves to the noble call of prayer. One of the highest privileges that has been entrusted to us as humans. You know, in 2009, my wife and I moved from India to Canada, and we've now lived here almost 13 years. And what I have observed is this. The strength of the North American church is also its greatest weakness. When you survey the landscape of Christian churches in North America, there is no shortage of church growth resources. We are inundated with ideas, strategies, plans, books, and conferences that tell you how to do church. Many churches think that they can script their own future by relying heavily on their creativity and resources. Now, I don't want to be critical of these things because they are helpful and can be God-honoring when it is used and done in the right way. God is not against our plans and strategies. He uses those very things to advance His kingdom. So hear me, I'm not advocating for us to ditch strategies and planning. That would be wrong. But here is a caution. If we are not careful, we can succumb to the lure of novelty and perpetual innovation. We can place our faith in our ability to strategize our way out of our problems. And rather than looking to God and going down on our knees in humble dependence, we can jump from one idea to another thinking therein lies our solution. Now look at churches in so many other parts of the world who barely have any resources and they are confounded by persecution and all kinds of problems and challenges. In the midst of all of that, the Holy Spirit of God is alive and well in their midst. Why? It is not because of their brilliant strategies, but it is their dependence on the Lord expressed through fasting and prayer that moves the hand of God. And prayer is an indicator of the spiritual temperature of a congregation. A prayer meetings ought to be like the powerhouse of the church. Out of that springs plans, strategies, our ministry and service to the world, prayer fuels all of our missional efforts. The text here in Chronicles challenges us to reclaim prayer in the life of our church. A prayerless church is an oxymoron. Personal prayer and corporate prayer are both critical if we want to see a move of the Holy Spirit in our generation. And I can't think of a revival that was not preceded by seasons of fervent and earnest prayers. And if there's anything, if there's anything that this sermon series will do, that it will elevate the value of corporate prayer in our congregation then we will understand the importance of those gatherings. On Monday, May 2nd at 7 p.m., we will join right here at Central Campus in our worship center for an evening of prayer for revival. And I would encourage every 
one of you who's listening to me, to make all your efforts to be here at church that evening. This is an opportunity for us as a community of God's people, all of our campuses coming together in one place to express our humble dependence on the Lord and claiming His promise here in 2 Chronicles 7. Would you put that event in your calendar? The event will be live-streamed on our website, but I do hope a number of us will make it a priority to actually be here in person. Because the power of God is unleashed when His people gather in prayer. Something always happens when God's people pray. So every time you hear of a corporate prayer gathering at the church, make every effort to attend. Prayer moves the hand of God, and it is our most potent weapon. So we humble ourselves, we pray, and we seek His face. Seek His face. There's a level of desperation here. It's not a casual prayer, not a perfunctory prayer, not a ritualistic prayer. This is a desperate cry for God. When our text says, Seek His face. The word for seek is used in dire times when God is our only hope for deliverance. You know, we don't seek revival for the sake of church growth. We seek the presence of God. We are motivated with the passion for the glory of God, and we come to the realization that God is all we need, and He is more than enough for us. You know, the problem with many believers is we think we already know the Lord. And yet there are depths and dimensions in our walk with Jesus that remains unexplored. Seeking God ought to be an ongoing experience. When we stop seeking God, we become spiritually stagnant. We get stuck in a rut. We don't progress in spiritual maturity. We hit a status quo that applies to us as individuals and as a church. Seeking God earnestly is the normal Christian life. And in seeking Him, we find in His presence, His fullness of joy, in His right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Nothing can be compared to that. Lastly, the text in Chronicles calls us to turn from our wicked ways. We humble ourselves, we pray, we seek His face, and we turn from our wicked ways. The word for turn or return is the Old Testament word for repentance. And it indicates a complete change of direction. It is a turning away from whatever may be displeasing to God in your life. Whatever may be contrary to His will in your life. We lay those very things down and we embrace all of God's plans and purposes for our life. Now, we often want the world around us to repent of their sins 
But for that to happen, repentance needs to first begin within the house of God. <clears throat> Confession of sins on our part, acknowledging our failure to live according to God's standards, having our conscience cleansed, triggers a move of God in our midst. So let me ask you, is there something in your life that is not honoring to the Lord? Are there any undealt sins in your life that you've been carrying for a long time? That is a serious question. That's a question that requires honest examination. And if the Lord were to convict you of something, that is a time for you to confess those very sins and receive his forgiveness and his strength to live a life of victory. So when we humble ourselves as God's people, when we pray, when we seek his face and confess known sins in our life, God says he will do his part. He will forgive our sins and he will heal our land. That is his promise. I will hear from heaven. The heavens open. You know, in the Bible, when the heavens are shut, that is a sign of God withholding his presence. It is clearly a sign of judgment. But when the heavens open, that is a remarkable imagery of the presence, favor, power, and the grace of God being lavished on his people. We want open heavens. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the British preacher from the 20th century who had a great passion for revival, called revival times as days of heaven on earth. That's what happens in a revival. It brings heaven to earth. The kingdom of God comes alive in our midst. It is an invasion of heaven that releases a conscious awareness of God's presence in our midst. So God says when we do our part, when we hold our end of the equation, he will do his part and reverse the spiritual declension that's all around us. He will arrest the destructive effects of the enemy and send seasons of refreshing that will bring spiritual healing. The Lord will address all of the brokenness in our society, which are mostly a consequence of us walking away from God. He will bring restoration and blessing that will draw our hearts closer to the heart of God and exalt the name of Jesus in our midst. Do we believe that? I'll close with this true story of a church that claimed God's promise. And it led to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that changed the eternity of thousands of people. A young senior pastor took over the mantle of leadership of a relatively small congregation of about 250 people. And this church had gone through several ups and downs ever since they were planted. 
Just before this senior pastor took over the leadership, the lay elders of the church covenanted to pray earnestly. And the first Sunday, this 32-year-old senior pastor preached. In his spirit, he sensed a heavy weight being lifted off the congregation. And he received an assurance that moment that God was going to bless this church. And for a split second, he says he saw rays of light poured into the sanctuary as a divine confirmation of the new work that God wanted to do in their midst. However, this church had lots of issues. People gravitated towards close-knit communities and became cliche groups, and the newcomers in the church felt left out. A relatively small percentage of people in the congregation were actively serving. At one point, the children's ministry was on the verge of shutting down because of a lack of volunteers. So once again, faced with these daunting challenges, the senior pastor, the lay elders, and some of the members of the church prayed fervently that God would raise laborers for the harvest. Some people committed to pray before the Sunday service. Some prayed all through the Sunday service. A year later, things became worse. This young senior pastor was diagnosed with cancer. He had cancer at the age of 23, and now it was back for a second time. It was devastating news, and the prognosis wasn't too good. And talk about discouragement for a congregation whose founding pastor had died of cancer, the next longest-serving pastor had many health issues, and now the young person with a great vision gets a life-threatening diagnosis. But it is that experience that resulted in a deep sense of brokenness and dependence on the Lord. And the church went down on its knees. The entire church gathered in prayer, interceding for their pastor. And after not too long, they received the news. Their pastor was now cancer-free. You know, in the book of Revelation, there is an imagery of the prayers of God's people filling up a bowl. And as the bowl overflows with the collective prayers of God's people, God's grace and power are being poured out. That is possibly what happened in the spiritual realm in this church. What became evident with the passing of time was that God used the many challenges that they faced as a congregation and their earnest and faithful prayers to not only change their hearts, but to bring and breathe new life into this church. While in the past, the church was often viewed as cold and unfriendly by visitors, now the church began caring for one another, praying for one another, and praying with one another. It became clearly evident that God had started the new thing that He promised through the power of His Spirit. And all of a sudden, they saw hundreds of people recommitting their life to Jesus Christ, and hundreds of people making first-time decisions to follow Jesus. Many broken relationships 
were being healed. Marriages were being restored. Families were being put together. Miracles started happening. The Lord's vision that He was going to bless this church came to pass, and all the major marks of revival were evident in that church. The work of the Holy Spirit intensified and it accelerated the spiritual growth of the members and the congregation at large. Hundreds and hundreds of people were being drawn to this church. The worship center was packed to capacity with five worship services. To accommodate the growth, they went through two building campaigns and finally moved to a worship center with a seating capacity of 2,400. They started campuses in different parts of the city with a regional focus. And when asked why all these great things were taking place, the senior pastor indicated the turning point. The turning point was when the staff and church leaders and God's people humbled themselves and prayed that resulted in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and changed lives. And I think, and I think by now you know what church I'm talking about. It is the story of Center Street Church. And the young senior pastor who took over the leadership of this church 36 years ago is none other than Dr. Henry Shore. This is the story of our church. This is what God has done in the past in response to prayers of God's people, and He continues to do so, and we celebrate that. You know, you can pick up a copy of a book called Living Stones that'll be in the atrium in all of our campuses, and it'll tell you the history of our church. And we've come a long way, haven't we? Let us not forget how and from where we started. The prophet Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. That word repeat can also be translated Revive. And I think it is time for some of us here to start praying. Lord, we are in awe of what you have done in the past. Lord, would you do it again now? Would we pour out your spirit in a fresh new way that will result in a dynamic outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our generation? That should be the cry of our heart. You know, let's not rest on the laurels of our past. Let us trust God to begin a new work today. And we know we can't make it happen. We can't orchestrate this movement. But we have a God on our side who is well able to do that. And my Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we want to see that happen in our time, we need to reclaim prayer and seek His face like never before. 
I want to close our time in prayer. Pastor Henry was supposed to lead us in a closing prayer today, but he's come down with a cold and he's not able to join us. So I'm going to hand it to our campus pastors in our various campuses to lead your congregation in prayer. And I'm going to pray for us here at Central Campus. Why don't we all just stand together? Let's quieten our hearts. And this is a time for us to pray. Pray that God will do a new work. Thank God for what he has done in the past. But may our prayer be, Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? So let's maintain a moment of silence so we can pray from our hearts and then I'll close us in prayer. acknowledge your presence in this place. We stand before your greatness and we bow our knees in worship, in adoration, in praise. Lord, thank you for the work that you have done in the past here at our church. That was no ordinary work. You caused your spirit to come forth. It changed the eternity of hundreds of people. You caused the momentum in this church to reach a new level. And we are where we are only because of your grace. And we give you all the praise because nobody can take any credit for all that you have done. And Lord, it is our cry today. It is our earnest prayer. It is our heart's desire. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not repeat that work in our time, in our generation? And we will see a move of your spirit like we've never seen before. Lord, we pray that you will cause your presence and your power to come alive. That we will be drawn to you, Jesus. The lives will be changed. The people will be impacted. The marriages will be restored. Relationships will be reconciled. Bondages will be broken. People will be set free. And they will learn to worship you and you alone. That we will find our hearts rejoicing in you, our delight in you, that you will be our greatest treasure and we will share this treasure with the world around us. And the work that you're doing here will have a ripple effect that will impact our city, our province, our nation, and the ends of the earth. And Lord, you will cause your spirit to flow freely through us, that we will be agents and channels in your hand for your power to work through us. 
So we surrender to you. We humble ourselves before you. May Jesus be exalted and magnified, worshipped and adored. We give you all glory, honor and praise. And we pray these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.